We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. Thank you guys for coming. It's an important podcast today, uh, something that I know Andreas wanted to put together for a long time. So as we start, I'd like to thank all of our guests who are coming up here to speak and share their stories and make sure uh, you know our voices are heard. And it, we have important voices in this space, in this, uh, this pro wrestling community. And it's high time that we share these things and our experiences and make sure that they're felt, they're heard, and that the world understands you know, what we've been through and where we hope to go after this. Uh, so thank you guys for joining us. Wrestling with Stereotypes, Corner Podcast, Sporting News, presenting it. Uh, thanks to all our sponsors who made this possible today. And Dre, we're here, we're doing it. StarCast, baby. StarCast, we, we got here. Uh, Melon. Melanin deficient last year. <laughs> so it was, a con- it was a conversation that needed to be had with Conrad. Listen, uh, two very important things happened at WrestleMania 35. Uh, one were the women main eventing WrestleMania. It took 35 WrestleManias to get there. That was planned. The other one, maybe not so much. Yeah, it happened quick. A brother named Kofi Kingston, an African born. Because of an injury. And he slid in there and, and ran with it. And We'll talk a little bit more with each of our guests about the impact of that. But man, it really got our wheels turning and this conversation turning onto, you know, it was such a great moment and watching the reactions and Sporting News did great video and everyone just losing their mind all across the world watching him win. And then it turned to, why did it take this long? 35 WrestleManias, I've been a wrestling fan since I was three years old. Uh, Growing up, I watched guys like Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Jake the Snake. At a certain point, I started wondering, where are the people that look like me? Where are the people that look like me that aren't manservants? 
there aren't Ugandan headhunters with handlers named kimchi. <laughs> Junkyard dogs. Where, where are the people that look like us, that are baby faces? That's that have, the key. That have depth, that are people. And as the years progress, we've had the rug pulled out from under several times. Everybody remembers Booker T against Hogan. I mean against Hogan, against Triple H. Might as well, Might as well be Hogan, right? <laughs> but we remember the build to that program, and a lot of us watched it and said, there's, there's no way. Booker T's got to go over tonight. You got the three count off of one pedigree. Quick. Disappointed. Yeah, man. And it, it seems like all these things passed, and we talk about this when we get together, and whenever we meet anyone who listens to the podcast, or we're at these WrestleMania events, these StarCast events, AEW things, where as a community, we're all there. These are the conversations that we have, but they've never been put in front of a microphone. Exactly. They've never been recorded on video. It, it seems like it's barbershop talk, or it's just about us. No, like it's time to let people into this bubble. It's time to make sure that you know, our voice is, is heard, like I said, and to get the perspective of everyone. So first up, the person we're gonna bring to the stage, someone we've known for quite some time, someone who's been, I'd say, uh, the wrestling mark of wrestling marks on the black community, on Twitter, social media, and a guy who I can't say enough about who lived out his dream through his talent as fan, to going and putting his stamp on one of the biggest, the biggest company in wrestling history, the WWE, uh, this past couple of years. And then now moving on to even different things. This guy does everything. He's like you, a million jobs. I can't even keep him straight. <laughs> so uh, let's welcome to the stage Kaz. Kaz, come up here. Let's chop it up real quick. Should I drop your Twitter handle, Real Life Kaz? I mean, yeah. you know. Come on. <laughs> my, man, my man's got enough followers, man. He got to share something. Wherever you try to share, up to, brother. Yeah. Got room. I'll, I'll, sit in, I'll sit in the middle. Good. Dre's allergic to me, so Spread he's, he's trying to stay over there. <laughs> he thinks this is going to stop me from saying hot takes. He thinks this distance is going to help him. I you guys are like friends. Y'all can at least like... <laughs> yeah, right? Bring it in for the real thing. Look, he, he going... All right. It's so a, I got to make it awkward? Do I got to be the guy that... Yeah, come on, guys. Come on. We're all friends okay. here. You know... Yeah, Brothers, right. we, can, we can love each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different time. We can be close, all right? We're good. It was still tough-looking guys, even though we're yeah. still bigger than cozy. <laughs> so here's the thing, man. Yeah. When I met you, you were working at The Source. I was at BET. Yes. It was a time where I was a wrestling, I was a wrestling guy. Loved yeah. wrestling, but I didn't find too many people that were like me that were in this space. And I yeah. met you, and we had a group chat. Yeah. And the thing expanded. And uh, just kind of talk about your experience going from the culture of hip hop, documenting that culture, to yeah. being involved with pro wrestling. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I got my start at the Source magazine. You know, I was an intern um, for about a year, making no money. Uh, I was getting um, as many stories as possible, like just as far as like the hip hop background is concerned. I got in there real young. So, uh, you know, when I was there, all the older guys that were, you know, trying to keep the source popping were like, we got to get the Jay-Z story, we got to get the Eminem story, we got to get the Ludacris story, and like all this other stuff. And I was the guy like, you know, social media was just starting to pop off, and like MySpace and SoundCloud and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, let's, I like Drake, I like Big Sean, I like Wiz Khalifa. And this is like before they really became who they were, and that's kind of how I got on. 
But um, the more kind of, you know, once I got that, they were just kind of gave me the baton. It was like, oh, you know what you're talking about. You know, it's all right, yeah, whatever you want to do. So um, as that expanded and the source kind of got his name back, Source Sports was, you know, the, the next logical thing. And, um, you know, I always liked covering sports, like, you know, basketball, football, all that other stuff. But I was like, you know, we should we should talk about WWE. We should talk about pro wrestling because socially, you know, like whatever we, you know, tweet about it or even mention it or like at somebody, you know, that was a wrestler, like we'd get a big response out of it. So, and I was a lifelong fan of, of pro wrestling ever since, you know, like literally my earliest memory in life was like watching uh, Survivor Series. My, my, you know, I got a big poster of it in my wall. My girl will tell you it's the first, uh, it was 1989 Survivor Series. I think it was like the Mega Powers versus... I don't know, I think demolition or something, and uh, I might be terribly off with that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lifelong, you know, dream, and I've been a fan my entire life, so anytime I could incorporate that into what I was doing, that what I was getting paid to do, it was fun. So, um, yeah, like, one of the first big stories I did was interviewing Kofi Kingston, you know what I mean, for the Source Sports, and talking about how athletic he was, and yeah, this is pro wrestling, but this guy's like a true athlete. And like, you know, he was, you know, an amateur wrestler and did all this other stuff, you know? So I tried to take, my thing was if I, if I got to cover, you know, WWE on a wrestling tip, I had to show the mainstream world, like, yes, this is predetermined, this is planned, but these are actual athletes. These are actual talented people. So that's how I got my end to bringing that into mainstream coverage. So you named, you know, the first memory and you had this picture on your wall now yes. and you remember that when's the first time you saw someone that you kind of idolized who was a minority who might have been like a black <laughs> character or something because you named like <laughs> demolition mega pop but yeah so i mean that was that was my thing like I, I grew up watching wrestling and you know i grew up in staten island which had a lot of white folks in it and y'all white folks are cool too and um <laughs> the, the white folks that i would play wrestling with with the action figures or whether or was no mercy or you know WCW NWO revenge I would you know pick I would usually pick Booker T or like Ahmed Johnson or whatever and be like oh we're gonna be the world champions and they're like oh he can't be the world champion no that's not realistic like even back then like we were like barely 10 11 years old and we were like oh you know Sting could be the champ Hulk Hogan could be the champ you know, Kevin Nash could be the champ, but like, you know, when I wanted Booker T to, to win the title, it was like, it would just be comical to them. Like, oh, you know, he's, you know, that's never gonna happen. I was like, why not? Like, why can't we have Booker T so, was getting buried in Staten Island? Yeah, facts. So like, it took a while for you know, because all the you know, outside of like Booker T and Ahmed Johnson and, and eventually The Rock, like there wasn't all the black wrestlers that I looked up to that I liked were like you said, like. Kamala or some shit and you know and and Mabel and you know men on a mission and like even Yo. though I fuck with men on a mission like that that, <laughs> shit was, that was my jam but you know I just knew they were there for a certain reason they weren't there to be taken seriously as like the champion or like you know feud with Shawn Michaels or some shit like just the fact that Ahmed Johnson would team with Shawn Michaels would be like a big deal to me cause like oh shit like he's close to the world title like maybe one day possibly you know that would happen but you know, even back then, like as pre-teenagers, we knew like, oh, we're not gonna have a black wrestling champion. When's that gonna happen? <laughs> Intercontinental champion, maybe. Like that yeah. was like the that's like the heightier shit. But world champion, it's like, nah, that's not gonna happen. Tag team gold. Tag. Oh, that for sure. Oh, yeah, be, that, definitely. Yeah, we we ran the tag team shit. <laughs> but <laughs> anything else, like anything else, with some comedy shit. If it was something that was 
you know, mid-card or you was a tag team or you were entertaining as hell and they had to do something because, like, you're entertaining, I'll put you on TV. Yeah, but, like, they were never, ever taken, like, seriously as, like, the main act, like, as the fucking threat to the world championship. So, even though now as a teenager, like, looking back at it now, I'm 32, I'm like, damn, that was, that was fucked up. <laughs> 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 that was some real shit. So, you fast forward... And we just dive right into it. You had the yeah. opportunity to work with the WWE and yeah. bring these ideas to fruition. So talk about the experience a little bit. Obviously, you worked with the New Day yeah. and wrote for them. And, you know, people don't really know what goes on inside <laughs> the walls of the house that Vince McMahon built. It's, it's uh, man, where do you start with Vince? It's, uh, <laughs> you know what it is? It's one of those things where um, you don't, we hear y'all. Right, like I came from y'all. Like I came from being a fan and being somebody who, you know, was like, why don't they do this? This doesn't make sense. But like, not everything goes through one filter. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, we, it's been said from multiple ways, but I'll just flat out say it: creative rights for an audience of one. You know what I'm saying? Like, we write for an audience. We have written for an audience of one. Yeah, there are times where, like, we could sneak some cool shit in here and there, but whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, if the number one didn't like it, you know what I'm saying, it wasn't getting on TV. So, at the end of the day, like, do you want to waste your time, you know, when you got to do 48 hours of travel, go to a city, drive to the next one and all that shit, and, and waste time on something that you know isn't going to make TV? Or do you want to take that time and be like, okay... Number one wants this. Let's do all this other fun stuff underneath here while we can get to pleasing the boss. You know what I'm saying? Making sure it actually gets the TV because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like, you know, it's, it's very easy to be like, well, you know, you, we've all fantasy booked shit before. At the same time, it's one thing to fantasy book on a video game or on, on like an EFED or something like that. It's very different to look like, Bobby Roode in the face and be like, you're not getting on TV this week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very different to be like, you know, and this is, these are, you know, you gotta understand, like, the time I was there, I'm talking about, these are the, some of the most talented motherfuckers in the world. And, like, I'm fan to these dudes. Like, I'm telling, I'm, I'm sitting here, like, looking at Kenta, who can't even get on TV. And I'm like, yo, you'll understand, I, like, came up on this dude's tapes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I came up on, like, on, on God, like, you name it. Just people who just couldn't, Shinsuke, you know what I mean? Like, I did a ton of work with Shinsuke Nakamura, like, you know, going to the U.S. Championship and back, you know, like, all those stories or whatever, trying to, like, rehab that after, not necessarily rehab, but, like, once you're done doing the world title picture, it's like, okay, like, it's easy to be interested in somebody during the world title run, but how do you keep them interesting? You know, those mid-card titles, those, those mid-card stories are so important because, like, if that shit isn't interesting, nobody's going to care about what's happening at the top of the show. And, you know, just... This is a guy who I'm like, yo, Shinsuke literally changed how I watched wrestling. And, like, I could barely get seven minutes of good TV. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's just, I think I had a blast working there. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, there was some super talented, creative people that, you know, just are kind of suffering because, like, there's something, there's, there's, stuff at the top that's just a little different, you know? Like, and at the same time, that same dude at the top has made, he's hit so many home runs that like you can't necessarily knock him if you don't want to do something, you know what I mean? Like we can, there's been so many times where I'd sat backstage and he'd, you know, we'd, we'd have a plan about something for all, all week. We'd get to Sunday night, you know what I mean? We think we're good. We go to Monday morning production meeting and 
big man's like, yeah, we're not doing this. You know what I'm saying? He just throws something on the, on the wall, and we're like, this is the dumbest thing. This isn't going to work. How's it going to pull this off? We go out there and do it, and they go nuts. <laughs> and we're just like. I, I feel like you're hinting at the Lashley <laughs> crazy that's, pose, yo, spanking I, his cheeks. All right, yeah, <laughs> yo, all right, boom. We, we, that that can't have been a long plan. All right, so I'm, I'll, I mean, I'll tell it now since we're, we're, we're here and I don't work there anymore. Uh, <laughs> we, were, we were in Manchester, and, uh, you know, Leo Rush had just got – Leo and Bobby, like, are starting to, like, really click, I think. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're getting good reactions, like, as heels – and you know the you know Leo just got a gift with Gab, and like he was just really easy to write for because I didn't have to explain shit to him. You know, what I mean, like stuff that we we talk in a very different language. I'm talking about the brown folks here. Like we talk in a language that we I don't need to translate to somebody else. And he was somebody who got that so quickly. And I felt like we were doing really well with like the looks like money, smells like money stuff with the kind of like a little mini Mayweather, Don King type of dude for Bobby Lashley because we're trying to build him up for, you know, eventually program with Roman or program with, you know, Seth, like the big dudes, you know what I mean? So we're getting there and we get to the UK and, you know, I'm with, uh, God, I, I want to say it was Malenko. It was either Malenko or Arn Anderson or something. Anyway. They were there, and they were like, all right, so, you know, we tried this thing on the house show and, and the live events, and, uh, you know, we're going to do this thing where Lashley tells the crowd to kiss his ass. So I'm like, oh, great, we get to curse. This is going to be fun. <laughs> right? And my idea of we get to tell, make Lashley tell the world to kiss his ass is very different than Vince's idea, right? So we go out through do rehearsal and all this other shit. I'm hearing on the headset. Big man's like, no, nah, that's not it. That's not it. No, bring them to the office afterwards. And we're just like... All right, whatever. You go to his office, and I shit you not, like, all the stories you hear about, like, Vince ain't going to do something unless he does it first. Like, I had to sit in a room with Bobby and Leo while Vince is like, you got to go like this. And, like, he's flexing, and he turns around, and then he comes, and you spread it. And, like, look at the lats. And, like, he's, like, a big fucking, like, <laughs> he's a huge fucking, like, bodybuilding nerd, right? So... You know, he knows every single whatever the fuck it is, like, on your body. So, it's like, look at the deltoids, the lap, da, 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 da. And then you got to turn around and you really slap them and tell them, really stick it up. You know, stick it to their fans and just be rich, just fucking totally no-sell it and, like, really make people believe, like, you're being genuine. So, they'll boo, boo you out the building. They're going to they're gonna hate it. I'm telling you. And I'm like, no, it's just stupid. Why are we doing this? Like, this is, this is old-timey shit. Like, what? But he's the boss. So, we're like, all right, fuck it. We're going to go out there and do it. And we went out there and did it. In, in the UK at first, it was just fucking, it was like a fart in church. But <laughs> then, like three weeks later, we're like leading up to, I want to say SummerSlam or whatever it was. We're leading up to some big event. And people, I'm walking, no, it was SummerSlam because I'm walking Leo and Lashley to the backstage, to the uh, pre show, like with Renee and all those people. Not Renee, with Charlie and all those people. And, um, Literally, like people's wives are going up to Lashley. It was like, yo, we can't wait for you to do the, do the pose, do the ass cheeks. And we're just like, what? This shit got over. And then like when we got out there, he was about to do the pose. And everybody's starting to go nuts for it. And like we're just like, this, this, he, he did it again. He always, I don't know, he's a 73-year-old billionaire for a reason. Like he might be nuts, but the mother, he, he gets it. Cass, okay, I got to ask it. you. Uh, Straight up, is there a race issue with the writer's room where there's only one black writer writing for only the minority talent? 
Because if it's not you, then it's who? <laughs> um, to be fair, I wrote, I wrote for more than just the, the minority talent. I, I definitely did write for New Day and Leo and Lashley and, you know, and uh, Cedric and a lot of those guys. But I did also do some stuff with Roman here and there. I did some stuff with uh, Bobby Roode and Mojo. I uh, did some really fun stuff with Elias for a couple of weeks with, with the KO show and the big Seattle thing the when, big, they, when they win nuts yeah, for that. The heat. Um, uh, so I wrote for other minority of, but as far as like in, in uh, that be a, my, a race problem in the writers room, um, problems a strong word. <laughs> I would say that it would behoove them to not have more writers of color in the room, um, but it also behooves them to not have more women writers in the room. You know, like if you have a whole women's division, it probably all shouldn't fall down to maybe two or three people, and you know, one of them's a man. I'm not saying men can't write for women and vice versa, but you know, there's certain things that like, you know, a, a female writer could bring out of male talent that a male writer can't. Same thing with a writer of color, you know, like if you're trying to write for something that's mainstream, something for that's, you know, supposed to be pop culture relevant, you know what I mean? Black culture is the most pop culture relevant thing there is, you know? Like, it would help you to have more of these people in these rooms. So, um, but they understood that, you know what I mean? Like, and it, and it was never an issue with, like, that writer's team, because I love those, like, Road Dog was, like, my guy, like, fucking, you know, Rajan Singh, you guys might know him as Rajan Singh, but, you know, uh, Dave is awesome. Um, you know, all those guys, all, all the lead writers are great. But like we said, a lot of us are writing for an audience of one. And a lot of times he likes the shit, and a lot of the times he don't like the shit. And at the end of the day, it's his, it's his sandbox, and he's just letting us play in it for a little while. You know, so, um, but I, I would say it's a problem just as far as like, you know, you want to do well. You want to have better, um, you want to put out better content because like these are people who are living it. You know what I'm saying? Like these are, it, it's, black culture is pop culture. So like anytime we got, I got to do some cool shit with like Booker T in a new day or do some, you know, literally like always sneaking like some pop culture reference that only a handful of people might get in the arena, but we can look on viral or go on Twitter and social media and it does like a million retweets, all that type of shit. Like there's two, there's a lot of audience that you could write for, you know? So when there's, when there was like that brick wall of writing for Vince, and, um, you know, as long as we get to that point, but we could have some, like, Jesse Smollett jokes in there or fucking, like, just <laughs> throw something in there that just, that gets, still gets us to that point. Like, that's why I got the fun out of it. You know what I mean? So, like, there was, there was ways to do right by the boss, but still do something that pleases, you know, the masses and, and continues to be entertaining. Nah, that's dope. And once again, stories from the highest level, that's something we don't really get, you know, behind that curtain. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up two more guests now to see their journey because it's, you know, writing for it and mm -hmm. seeing these talents and you got a lot of these guys, like you said, that you watched for so long yeah. and you were fans of them. Yeah. So it's interesting to see like, you know, their journeys and how they come up. So we have two amazing guests that are going to join us now. Chris Bay, FSW champion, Marty Bell, former TNA knockout. Um, Marty's been everywhere though. May Young Classic. May Young Classic. Yes, uh, so you guys can come up here and join us. Man. Yeah, hand for both of them. Oh, uh, Chris, you got to sit next to me, Chris. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> that moonwalk. <laughs> look, at, look at the athleticism. I was going to try that, but I'd probably fall, so. <laughs> 
Yeah, I actually sure. broke my knees doing that, so. Oh, man. <laughs> so, Marty, we're gonna start with you real quick. Okay. Uh, Cause you don't just re represent a woman. You represent the Latina community as well. Can we talk about the, uh, your come up? And a, I mean, recently you just cut an amazing promo. A lot of people did not see this mm. about representing for your community and the culture. So just give us a little background on yourself and how you got into pro wrestling and where you are today. So I'm originally from New York City. Uh, my parents are Dominican and uh, Spanish is my first language. I lived in the Dominican Republic uh, until I was seven, even though I was born in New York. It's a whole story. But uh, I'm from New York City. I'm from uh, a neighborhood in New York called, uh, it's actually called Inwood, but it's known as Dykeman. So I just say I'm from Uptown. Uptown. <laughs> See, if, if you're from New York right away, you're like, oh, you're from uptown. I get it. Uh, so I grew up in New York, and I grew up very, very Im immersed in my, in my culture. I grew up with my grandmother, who didn't speak English. And so everything from the music I listened to to the TV shows I watched was all related to, to being Dominican. And I think that's still something that uh, I still carry with me. It makes me... It makes me proud to be able to represent not just, especially not just on this panel, but just in general, and not just in wrestling, even outside of wrestling with the other projects that I do, represent not just Latinas, but I consider myself an Afro-Latina because, I mean, look at me. Because <laughs> look at me. Uh, and I feel like that's something that's really important, and we don't get a lot of that in, in, in entertainment in general, but even in wrestling, we don't... I, I, I would love for you guys to be able to name another uh, Hispanic wrestler who looks like me, another, uh, another women Hispanic wrestler who looks like me, because I think that just in, in general, in wrestling and any kind of entertainment, when we think of Latinas, we think of Salma Hayek, we think of Jennifer Lopez, we think of the light-skinned, that's what, you know, to entertainment in general, that's what, that's what we consider. So for me to be able to represent the darker woman who doesn't get that much TV time, and that's something um, that in that promo that I cut for NWA, I, I did it in Spanish and in English, uh, because I, I feel like I represent the, the, the people that we don't get to see on TV a lot. And uh, I made a post about it the other day, and that's one thing I said. I'm like, I'm doing this for, not just for myself, and not just for my community, not just for Dominicans, not just for, uh, you know, people from New York, people from Uptown. I'm doing it for everyone who doesn't get to be seen because it's, it, I don't know, it's just, it's, for me, it's a problem, and it has been, but, um, yeah. I feel like I was really long-winded. I apologize. No, <laughs> I don't know good. where that was going. No, you're good. So, Chris, I mean, to me, if you guys haven't seen Chris Bay wrestle, go home, YouTube, whatever, however you get your hands on this, this guy is amazing. So he's one of the best young talents I've seen in this industry, and he's going to be a star, sooner rather than later. Um, right now, you're FSW heavyweight champion, yeah. and you're battling, and we're talking about stereotypes. <laughs> I mean, before you, was what Killer Cross was the champion. Right, right, right. So that, that's the guy who has the traditional look of a, a title guy, and you're coming in, and you just took it and ran with it, and you're, you're doing so great. Right. What are some of the challenges, especially in your you know, young career, that you faced coming to this level and being a heavyweight champion? You're a smaller guy, you're, you're, you're black, you got the dreads, yeah. which is another thing. Even like the top guys who are black, a lot of times you gotta be clean cut or a certain look or bald or something. You're, you look like everyone else. Look at the bling. Hey. Bling <laughs> tattoos, like, what is some stuff you had to go through? Um, it's crazy because before we, before we even push into that, 
FSW heavyweight champion. We gotta we gotta show respect to Kenny King. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I ain't the I ain't the only. You know what I'm saying? I I am the first of my stature and my color to do it. You know, which is always a cool thing. But growing up, like I just whoa. Oh, we good? You all good, buddy? <laughs> I thought I broke my knees. You broke yours. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, no sold right. it like a champ. Yeah, no, but um, you know, it's a uh, like growing up. We talk about the people we saw on television. We talk about the people that we looked up to. Uh, I didn't. Um, we weren't those main event guys. So to me, I was like, man, uh, do am I ever gonna make it to that level? Like, what what I need to do? Oh, should I um, should I not get tattoos? Oh, should I not grow my hair out? Even though I really want to grow my hair out, should I keep a low cut? Like thinking about how I needed to change my, my, my image to fit the mold. That's how I, I kind of grew up, just watching wrestling and perceiving wrestling. To even right before I got into it, I almost didn't want to because I feared that I would be hindered and held back so much. But uh, then when I got there and I showed up, I, I chose a reputable school that I had done research on that I saw people like me come through, people like Willie Mack already being there, people like Kenny King being there, the bonus boys, you know, like I saw people of color already there. So I was like, okay, this is right here. This would be a good spot for me to go because I know I can go through this lane right here. But once again, when I showed up being smaller, being, you know, already having the tattoos, being the dreads, course we call it the disadvantage I called it being unique I was like man I can finesse this you know for sure like I try to think of stuff uh without the limitation on it just because uh I grew up thinking about it with the, the limitation on it and it immensely messed up my game to where I didn't want to be me I, I didn't want to be proud to be me and when I got into wrestling my first theme song was a rock song I was like yeah I ain't coming out to rap that's what they that's what they want me to do they want me to come out to rap. I'm not coming out to rap like Come on, I was coming out to a rock song, you know, like, and I thought I had it all figured out, and the homies were like, bro, that ain't it, man. Like, like be, be you, be you. So the more I started to loosen up and be me, which I got injured one summer, and uh, I got to take some time off, and that's when I was like, man, I'm coming back. I'm going to be me, you know. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just be me. I'm gonna, and the first match, I had the Millie Rock, and the crowd went, cry, well, like, went crazy, and I was like, oh, they like that. Yeah, I, I was like, I can't even Millie Rock, and they like that. I was all over the place. I was smacking imaginary flies, you know what I'm saying? Like, but they was feeling it, so I was like, okay, we might be on to something here, you know? And then the more I just started to uh, just push further in it, okay, cool, more tattoos now. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, what? You, Jewelry? Oh, let's do that. Yeah, we can do that now, too. So I just started to turn it up even more because uh, the way I see it, the more you be yourself, the more you just do things your way, you'll, you'll create your own lane. There, I'm not following any other person's path. I'm in my own, you know? And uh, we, all, we all are in our own lane. And if we look at it that way, we'll all be successful th the exact way we want to be, you know? And that's, that's the way I try to look at it, at least. Marty, I want to ask you this. A lot of people of color get saddled with bullshit gimmicks and get pushed into an angle that may be deemed racially insensitive. Have you dealt with that before? So, um, I actually, and I, now that Kenny's here, actually, we, we all just keep referring back to Kenny. Uh, I got told uh, this story by somebody, and I, I hope it's true because it, was, it kind of relates to something that you were saying, too. Uh, when I was at TNA uh, doing the dollhouse stuff, that was really fun, and looking back, uh, I wasn't myself. I was very much 
Watching it, I was 100%. The person who was mainly in charge of writing that was Christy Hemme. It was her first big project. It was her baby, Christy Hemme and Dave Lagana. And I'd known Lagana for years and years and years, and uh, Lagana was actually the reason I ended up at TNA. But there came a point where they didn't have anything for me. Once a dollhouse disbanded, they didn't have anything for me. They kept me home for months. And one day, I get a call from, from Billy that they wanted, Billy Corgan, they wanted me to go up uh, to meet with Vince Russo. And he was basically gonna like develop a character for me. And when I talked to him, one of the first things he told me is that he'd had a conversation with Kenny where he told him, I don't know how to write for a black man because I haven't lived those experiences. I've never, you know, walked a mile in a black man's shoes. So it's, it's difficult, or he said for him it was, it was more of a challenge. So now you're writing for a woman, a Hispanic woman of color, like you're, eh, that's, you know what I mean. Uh, so that was, so we ended up working together. And to be fair, he did, he did like, we ended up with like, basically it was a Foxy Brown character. Mm. Uh, which, and I don't think it was, I don't think it was racially insensitive. I feel like we, we played into kind of what I look like. I've been told many times I look like Pam Greer. So, especially when I straightened my hair, when I used to straighten my hair. So we kind of did, went into that. But I've, before I started wrestling, I was a, a valet for a year, I, before I even started training. And one of the first things that I was told when I got to the school I trained at Johnny Rods in Brooklyn was I needed to straighten my hair. Because, and I quote, it was unprofessional. Mm. This hair did not fit what they were interested in. And so if you watch back any of my matches from when I first started, anytime I had a big match, if I had a title match, if it was my debut at a big company, I always straightened my hair. Because I was told that that's what they wanted. They wanted that like clean cut, like we were talking the other day, it's that weave look. Like, mm, yeah. I don't have that. Like, I, I, I feel like I look, very, I look very different. And it wasn't until I finally, I don't even know why, like one day I was just like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to keep straight. It was, it was no point. I would go straighten my hair, wrestle. Five minutes later, my hair's back to this. Like, the second I sweat, I'm like, it's over. <laughs> so I started just kind of doing my own thing. And that's when I met Dave Lagana. Uh, I had seen him again, and that's when he was like, oh, you look different, where, like Chris said, we're gonna take this different thing about you. We don't know what to do with it, but it's interesting, so we're gonna, we're gonna push it, and we're gonna start trying to do other things with it. And that's kind of when I started seeing my career take off a little bit more, is once you start being yourself and stop, once I stopped trying to be what I thought they wanted me to be, I feel like my career just, and it happens every so often, I feel like I'll find myself again, and it's, when I start acting like myself and not following into whatever it is that they want me to do. So, Kaz, we still have you up here, yeah. you know, having your writing experience. How important was it for you to, you know, not, when you got talent, you talk about writing for guys like Leo Rush and all this stuff, yeah. and you brought pop culture into it with the New Day, but Leo Rush doesn't have a stereotypical gimmick. No. Say, Leo's Leo. Yeah. Like, Bobby is Bobby. Like, yeah. You know, Bobby's not uh, a pimp. He's not the guy. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was definitely by design. That was definitely by design. There was definitely opportunities where, um, you know, we're in, the, we're in the creative room just throwing shit against the wall, see what sticks. That, um, you know, and this is why you have black people in the room when you're discussing these certain things where, uh, you know, I won't get into super details, but, uh, you know, with Lashley, they wanted to refer to Leo as, you know, a term that I didn't think was you know, really a smart thing to do, you know, um, just as far as like, just as far as, you know, 
black history and just how, you know, certain, certain words are triggers for certain things. And it's not something that they knew and it wasn't like they were trying to be racially insensitive, but like having somebody in that room to be like, hey, this may not be something, but it may not be nothing. Let's just avoid it altogether. You know what I'm saying? Or let's try this. And, um, you know, there was a time with, you know, when Leo first came in where, you know, he had the blonde hair and all the other stuff and, you know, and then he cut his hair and I asked him like why he did that. And he was like, oh, well, you know, just trying to, you know, I'm beyond raw every week now, trying to get like the clean cut look. And I don't think, you know, I don't think it hindered him, but like, like you said, just initially we all had that thing in our head where we're just like, yo, we gotta be what they wanna be. Like get even myself, box. like I had, you know, a huge James Harden type of thing going on with like hair and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, when I got there, like after that first my month, first couple of months, I just cut it off. Just cause, you know, I'm in a suit every day and, you know, I gotta, you know, I'm always in the background of certain shots. So like, if like Stephanie McMahon's here and like I, I did a scene with Stephanie and like, I gotta be in the background of it. I don't wanna look like, you know, I didn't, and it's not like they said anything to me, but I, I just think like all of us just had that internal thing about us where we are like, oh, we don't wanna, we don't want to make sure we're, we're standing out too much or looking a certain thing or whatever. And like, I was kind of ashamed of it, but you know, um, luckily I didn't, that didn't rub off on the talent, you know, like when Leo first came in from 205 and, you know, Lashley was up and we didn't really have much form. It wasn't my idea to put them, put them together, but you know, Leo came in with the same thing. Like, you know, they want me to be this thing. And I'm like, dude, just, be yourself, like all this shit that you're doing on social media, on your Instagram and all this type of stuff, like that wasn't us, like that was you. Let's just take that and put that on TV and turn the volume up like to 11. And you know, I think we did some really good work together, you know what I mean, as far as you know, keeping him interesting and you know, getting people you know, invested in Bobby Lashley again as a face and as a heel. Um, but you know, just as far as looks are concerned, um, I, I think I was fortunate to come in at the time where I did where you know I, I knew the new day before I even got there, and you know those are guys who, for lack of a better term, kind of kind of ran shit. You know what I'm saying? Like not that they were like top guys, or whatever, but they have the respect of everybody. This is even before like the Kofi run gets going and all that type of stuff. There's certain people back there that you know, top of the food chain. You know they don't got to be world champions or whatever, but like you're not gonna disrespect Mark Henry. You're not gonna disrespect <laughs> fucking, you know, you're not gonna disrespect like, you know, guys who have been around the block, Big Show. You know what I'm saying? Like people might look, watch TV, but oh God, Big Show again. But Big Show's like the fucking godfather back there. <laughs> like you don't fuck, like you don't, you don't fuck with Big Show. And you know, like the New Day was not at that level, but like there are guys that, you know, you're on the road every day. They're kind of like team captains. So I was fortunate to have those guys to be like, dude, be yourself. Like, you, you can be yourself. Like, this is why we're here. Like, this is, you know, and I, I, was, I was just fortunate to come at a time like, you know, the New Day, being in there, Cedric Alexander, Leo, Lashley, Sasha Banks, um, you know, not even just not even just black people, like the, the fucking Lucha House Party, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were super cool. Um, uh, Sarath, who does, like, all the fucking... He does all the the, the, gear. the gear, gear for yeah. everybody, you know what I'm saying? He's somebody who's super well respected. And just like, it's not as white as it looks on TV. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, there's a lot of people of color. There's a lot, there's, it's, it's, it's definitely a different time. It, I was definitely very fortunate to be there at the time where I saw more people, even though, even if it wasn't creative, 
you know, just people back there, like, you know, Tamario, who's like one of the most, he was just, he was just on SmackDown this week as, as, as regular E or whatever, or Ashy, I think, like, they had, like, they put, like, Ash on his knees or whatever, and Tamario's a guy who's, you know, who's got some longevity there, he's a, one of the head producers, and, you know, anytime you look at the ringside, he's, he's right there, you know what I'm saying, so, um, you know, I got there at a very fortunate time where it, it, it wasn't, all the horror stories that I might have heard about, like, racial insensitivity wasn't as premium as I thought it was going to be. It, but is there a, is it, how important is it to have somebody, a person of color, a woman, in there to say, nope? Very important. Very important. I mean, Jen, Jen Pepperman, who just won an Emmy for one of her short films or whatever, she, she, <laughs> she's a sweetheart. Like, we all call her mom. She's like, but she don't take no shit. Like, she, she would be the first one, like, all right, so... If you've never been in a WWE production meeting, it looks just like this, right? Except, like, in the front, it's like Triple H, Vince, uh, Kevin Dunn, and, you know, <laughs> there's only, like, four people at the table. <laughs> and whoever the head writer is. So it'll either be, like, Road Dog or Ed Kosky or one of those guys, and they're reading the show to you. And on one side, it's the writers and, like, the producers and stuff like that. So it's, like, creative and whatnot. And on the other side, it's the producers. And all the producers are, like, a who's who of fucking wrestling legends. It's, like, Dean Malenko, Billy Kidman, Arn Anderson, Adam Pierce. um, uh, fucking IRS, uh, the, the Rotunda's Mike dad, Rotunda. Mike Rotunda, um, all those guys, right? So, you know, she would be the one person, like, if we're reading a show and some shit just didn't smell right, <laughs> like, after every read, she'd be like, all right, any, any questions? She'd be over the first time, like, yeah, nah, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's, and she's, like, fiery, but, like, she's such a, she's such a sweet old white woman. Like, nobody really, you know, like, everybody kind of was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah. No, Jen, don't take no shit. So, all right, we're not, we're not going to do that. And she's, she's, like, almost like one of the unsung heroes of the fucking women's revolution, though. Like, if there was, like, if, <laughs> if wrestling handed out, like, Emmys and shit, like, she would be the person that was, is, like, that spearheaded a lot of the Ronda shit, a lot of the fucking, you know, Sasha Bailey storyline that kind of got convoluted for reasons I don't want to talk about. Mm. Fucking, um, <laughs> the, just everything. Jen is the shit, you know what I'm saying? And it's important to have somebody like that in that room or else I don't even think we get a female a woman's main event in, at WrestleMania 35 because she told she helped tell that story so well. And the guy by the name of Johnny Russo, who's not there anymore, but he's he's another guy who, who, you know, I might be giving him way too much credit, but like he got that Becky Lynch thing going. You know what I'm saying? As far as like the man and like the whole story with him and Charlotte and that heel turn, like those are two people that you know, even though she's not a woman, was adamant about like the woman's storyline. So, like, just having people in that room to, you know, be passionate about it and to give a fuck and to not just be like, oh, well, just another week on the road, whatever. <laughs> like, that's it's a very important thing to have those people in the room. Uh, Chris and Marty, before you guys take a seat again um, and we bring two more guests up here, we hear, like, you know, when other people are writing and how they book talent or write for talent, you guys have, you know, had more leeway, right? So on the indies, all this stuff, you're kind of more in control of those things. When you're developing that character, that gimmick, that persona, what goes into that and what's your thought process when you're putting that together to make sure you do put enough of yourself out there and you're not trying to be what someone else wants? Would you like to go first, or would you like? Uh, sure, I can do my long-winded. Ladies first. I can do my long-winded speech again. So even when I was at TNA, I pitched a lot. Uh, I was, especially because I was so comfortable with, when, when it was Dave Lagana, I was so comfortable with him that I would pitch him stuff all the time and I would be, because 
if you're quiet, then it's like, well, maybe we'll have something for you. But if they're not thinking about you, I'm like, hey guys, I'm here. Hey, I'm I'm creative too. I have all this. I have all these ideas for myself, and it was more of who I was, and that's what I try to to bring in. You know, even like simple things of like what my what's on my jacket. What's it's something that I I want to make sure that people understand who I am and. I, you know, the music I come out to, I come now I come out to Khalees because she's from New York and I think that's cool and milkshake is delicious and I like milkshakes. So, you know, yeah. like even just simple things like that for me, it's especially in the last, I think, I want to say even in the last year, I feel like I've found myself and, and I do try to put more of myself and uh, I've gotten the chance to represent the Dominican Republic now on so many different stages, uh, even beyond wrestling. And so for me, that's what I think of and that's where that promo that we mentioned earlier comes from. It's what's inside of me and what do I want people to remember. If I stop wrestling tomorrow, but people remember that promo, I'm like, all right, I did something. I did something for myself. I did something for my culture, which at the end of the day, uh, I'm the only Dominican woman carrying that torch right now. So um, that's, 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 what I, that's what goes into every single thing I do. Yeah, when I, when I think about it, I look at it as uh, what does this specific company that I'm trying to do work with, what do they already have, and what can I attribute to it? Because at the end of the day, it's a business. It's all about making money. So the way I see it is like, what's marketable? What What's on TV right now that's hot? You know, like who's the hot musicians that's out right now? Okay, who's selling the most records right now? What are they doing? So how far along in that area can we bring this up in wrestling now? Yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> almost everything is stolen, you know, like almost everything is just recycled. <laughs> everything just goes around the cycle all the time. Yeah. So, uh, and then we just have in wrestling, it's its own genre, right? So what what's over here in soccer? Okay, cool. How does that transfer over in wrestling? That's the same type style that's over here in soccer. Random, random example, you know, shout out FIFA. I like that <laughs> game. Uh, but, so when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, so this is who I am. This is what I like to do. This is kind of how I talk. Oh, this is the promo right here. What if, hmm, what if I said it this way instead of that way? Because I wouldn't actually say it that way. So when I say it, it's not going to come off legit. It's not going to sound convincing. My first couple promos, I feel like, felt very uh, like I was just reading or trying to remember versus when now, say, when I go out on championship wrestling from Hollywood or something like that and we're doing stuff, I'm just like, Ugh. This is me right here. I'm going to be annoying, be ad-libbing this whole interview right now. Yeah, drip, blah, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, that, that's what's on TV. That's what the, the kids are doing, the dab, the dances, whatever, the Millie Rock. That's what they want to see. So, like, yeah, let's bring that into this. Oh, you don't have that already on your – well, guess what? I got terrible <laughs> Millie Rock it. for you. <laughs> right here, I smack your drink off the table while I pitch it to you, and that's what I want to do. Can we do that? How can we get to that? If not, what would you like? How can we meet there? And if we can't meet, I'll go elsewhere. I'll find yeah. it. You know, yeah. That's how I try to look at it at least. Yeah, no, that, I, that's, that was literally every – you know, pre-week New Day conversation that we would have. It's like, yo, what's happening on TV? What's what's happening on social media that we could put into, you know, one of these promos or something? And like, there was one time with the with the Jesse Smollett joke, and there was one time with, uh, you know, Steiner math because yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. the Royal Rumble, and there was another time with the one of my favorite ones, which is like the first thing I ever got to like 
produced like on my own and, and open a SmackDown with was the five timer celebration with, with Booker T and the New Day when they won the, the tag team titles for the f- fifth time. And, uh, you know, that was the first time they just kind of like let off the, the cuffs and was like, you know, go do what you think is entertaining. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, all right, bet. You got Booker T, you got New Day, you got all this type of shit. And then, you know, we got to, it was a very, Game of Thronesy like knighting type of thing, but like with black people. So like there was like certain jokes that, you know, like that only we would get. But like it was funny because more I think you people took a Kaepernick knee. Yeah, we all took that was that was one of my big things. I was like, how can I get away with everybody taking a knee on WWE television? <laughs> Boom! <laughs> so we're gonna have a king right here, and they're all gonna take a knee, and they won't even know. So like now, if you see that picture of everybody bound to Booker T, people don't even know what it's for. But it's just like three. You know, your first black WWE champion, the longest reigning tag team champions, the two time only black two time Hall of Famer in a wrestling ring. Like that photo right there, like you said, like if I do nothing else, like I've done that, like just that photo of fucking them bowing the Booker T and all of them looking up like this, like if that gets in like a barbershop somewhere one day, like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's my contribution to society in life right there. I got some cool uh, some cool pool and a couple of different uh, barbershops. So yeah, oh please, please, please. Yeah. I'm gonna send it those. to you my way. All right, cool. <laughs> nah, so we appreciate you guys coming up here. We'll bring you guys up again shortly. We're gonna bring up two other guests now: uh, Kenny King, Willie Mack, and guys who have influenced people everywhere. Willie took some bumps last night. We appreciate having you guys here. Um, man, wrestling OGs, been through everything, seen everything. Sorry, Willie, you can be an OG. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You still, got, you still got more in the tank. So it's all good. I saw you last night hitting cartwheels, doing backflips. You still got it. Uh, so, having you guys up here, you guys have a different story because your journeys have a little bit more in them. You guys have seen a lot going through, getting to the level where you are now. When you first got into it, uh, and this is a question for both of you guys, coming up, it's not where we are now. We didn't see the Kofi Kingstons. We didn't see you know social media being played into characters. You guys had to kind of lay that road, lay that path like Chris was talking about, what was it like when you guys first broke into the industry, you kind of had to find yourself? Well, I just figured I didn't want to be no, had no kind of gimmick, I just wanted to be me. Because I remember first person pitched me something, said, hey, you see your afro, how big can you get that thing? I'm like, why? We want to have you as a uh, jungle man. You have to wear a loincloth and we'll call you Umbatu or something stupid like that. I'm like, check this out, dog. This ain't I'm like, this ain't 1980 or 70 or whatever the hell you from. I'm gonna go out there and do my damn thing. <laughs> Shit. Oh goddamn. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like what Kaz was saying. Like coming up, uh, we didn't have Kofi's and and and. Uh, I mean, real talk. Like my favorite wrestler coming up was Coco Beware, but. Coco Beware ain't be nobody never. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like seeing Coco Beware come out, knew, you knew, all right, you're going to come out, you're going to see Frankie, and you're going to do the Birdman, but Coco ass going to get whooped <laughs> in a few minutes. So that was really what we had to kind of, I mean, as a kid, uh, it was the, the, the Hulk Hogan's and the Mr. Perfects and the, and the Ravishing Rick Rudes that, that told those stories. So 
I mean, I broke in a little differently than everybody else. I broke in on a TV show. You know, I'm a tough enough kid. So um, that in and of itself was uh, was interesting because I, I really hadn't even thought about it until maybe I saw I watched Tough Enough again last year with my daughter and just kind of seeing that uh, it was myself and Linda Miles, like we were the only people of color uh, and ended up being the finalists. And you know, that, that was, that, that was maybe even the precursor to uh, the women's revolution. It wasn't though, because uh, <laughs> it wasn't though, because I can remember talking, because my Tough Enough season was, was the season that two women won. And I can remember talking to Kevin Dunn uh, in WWE New York, about to drink myself crazy <laughs> and uh, Kevin Dunn pulls me over and says uh, I, t I gotta tell you the truth and this is I don't think I've ever told this to anybody this I uh, says um, only reason you didn't look good is because you, you you didn't win because you don't look good in a bikini Oh wow. shit! Well, why didn't you tell me that shit before I started taking these bumps and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and destroying my spine 12 weeks earlier so um, that that I always think about that when it comes to um, it, it, that was the precursor to the Divas deal, and that was a, a focus on women, and it, that was the wrong focus, right? Um, the, that was the focus on, on, on sex, and I, I was always, uh, when thinking about, like, I know I have a little girl who says, oh, daddy, I want to be a wrestler. I'm like, no, the hell you're not. You're going to school. You're not <laughs> do none of this crazy shit, but uh, the, 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 the second women's renaissance was based around the right things, um, and I feel like that was based around talent and, and ability and not just as Kevin Dunn says, the way that you look in a bikini. So um, bringing that back to me, um, my, my journey wasn't so much about, uh, I was just tough enough. I had to break the tough enough stigma versus um, any, I, I didn't get Umaga or whatever, whatever <laughs> Willie got. I, I was really just trying, I, I was trying to find myself uh, in my early going. Can I want to ask you, man, because you've been around a lot in uh, the beatdown click. <laughs> Which was for us was legendary. Like we ah, looked at that and we I was like, BDC, bro, that was my shit." We looked at that and was like, "Yo, this is it." Let's talk about the origins of that, how that all came together. Because obviously, MVP meant a lot to you guys. Man, shout out to MVP. Uh, yeah. MVP. <laughs> so I'll tell you how that whole thing actually started. Um, I, I was I had taken a, a hiatus from TNA because that shit kind of happened back in the day where you just kind of like, "Oh, you're not on TV for six weeks." Uh, okay, so uh, they had kind of they brought MVP in as this investor, and uh, and he had kind of uh, you know he'd, he'd come in and they were bringing me back. So I can remember when I'm watching MVP uh, in WWE when he first came out, kind of thinking like, this motherfucker stole my character, man. <laughs> like that's my like that's my whole you know uh, uh, a sports guy who's flashy. And like, yeah. So watching him and. And I always kind of wondered, I never met him up until that point, I always kind of wondered like how would him and I even kind of get down because we're doing kind of the same and different but kind of the same thing. And uh, I'll never forget this. This is, this is a funny story. So Dave Lagana and Matt Conway who was writing TNA. Um, so MVP and I, you guys are going to uh, interact and Kenny, you're going to be, <clears throat> you're going to be who you are but you're going to kind of, uh, MVP is the baby face and you're the heel and you're going inter to interact like that. So okay, we got an idea of how we're gonna do this. And then they hand us something they didn't do in TNA. They hand us scripts. It's like, okay, well, here, we, we put this together for you. So me and Pete are sitting there reading this shit, right? And um, one of them, uh, I only really remember this line, or a couple of lines. So we're going back and forth, and I'm Kenny Brash, Kenny talking about how I'm gonna take over the show. And, uh, 
and the, the MVP says, Kenny, you serious? And it says, Kenny says, as serious as my grandfather's 1968 Cadillac Broham, you know, with the velvet seats and the bobblehead. And then it says, Kenny Bobble's head. <laughs> so I looked at that shit and I looked at P, right? And I'm like, all right, not saying that, but let's continue to read it. And then it, uh, and then it goes on to say, so then the, the whole thing was setting up me and MVP in an exhibition match. So the, the last line is, well, uh, since you seem so serious about this, Kenny, well, let's go ahead and toot it and boot it. Who the fuck wrote this? That's not. Uh, that's, so so so, so that's when it stops, right? So we go, we find Matt Conway, we find David Lugano, and we said, um, "Who wrote this?" <laughs> well, we did. What's what's the issue? I said, "Okay, say that line right there." <laughs> well, why, what do you say? You and I toot it and boot it. Why would I say that to <laughs> in the context of a fighting situation? <laughs> Y'all about to do I don't know. We saw it on the song. They didn't know. So it was that point where uh, where we both crumpled up our shit and threw it in the garbage that we, uh, we, we had that mutual respect that we weren't going to go out there and, and portray caricatures. We were going to go out there and, uh, and, and, and the Beatdown Clan, man, really was for the culture. Like that was, uh, that was something that me, Joe, Loki, and, and Peace sat down and we said, what do we want to do? We want to do this. We want to be wrestling Wu-Tang. We want to have something that people, uh, you know, because the Bullet Club was already getting over, right? But as many Bullet Clubs as you see, shirts as you see, how many Bullet Club members do you see that look like us? Mm-hmm. So that was just something that we, uh, we really wanted to, to like, all right, Bullet Club is cool, but what can we do that uh, when we cut promos, if we, cut, if we, if we say some Jay-Z lyrics, uh, who's gonna get it? And, or if we say something that, like you say, you, you write things that maybe a handful of people in the audience are gonna get it, but people mm-hmm. social media, man, people are gonna take that and run with it. Oh, so, at one point I was just writing to see if I get a GIF. Get a, <laughs> like, pop, right? like if my joint gets gift on Twitter, I'm like, banger. You, you write Good the pop a certain, a certain <laughs> sex. So that was really what we focused on and we really, really wanted it to be about was just a, a group uh, for the culture. And, you know, RIP VD, VDC, uh, it could have really been some shit, but, you know, LOL TNA. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Willie, now you look at... I guess your character is not even a character, right? You go out there and you're yourself in every really? promotion, and <laughs> yep. it's taking you to the heights where you are champions. You become champion of promotion. What is it that makes you stick out? Like as far as you know, when people are writing for you or when you go in there and you go and you're like, "Nah, I'm, I'm gonna just be me," and they're like, "Great, that's it. Like <laughs> you're the guy. You're the head guy in our company." Um, and you just came off of being champion. You just dropped the belt not too long ago. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and so you, you go into these rooms and people try to pitch you stuff and you, you know, Lucha Underground, all this stuff. How do you approach someone when they say, okay, Willie, here you go, this is what you're gonna do. And you, like, what's your conversation with them? Like, hold on, this is how I'm gonna be. Well, pretty much they go in there, they try to write some shit for me and I'll read every single thing. I'm like, all right, I give it back to them. Like, can you read that out loud to me? Now, does all that you just said sound like that'll come out of my damn mouth? <laughs> it's like my homies know how I talk. Everybody at wrestling shows know how I get down. It's like I ain't gonna come in there. Well, we gonna go in there and do that thing, baby girl. Hell no, I ain't about to do that shit. <laughs> they know I don't talk like that. So it's like you explain it to them, and like once they get to know me and see how I am backstage, they be like, all right, you know, right, your way, you doing it 
it, it could work. I can see people like catching on to it. I'm like, damn right, I've been doing it for how many years now, nigga? It ain't, <laughs> it ain't staring me wrong. <laughs> Shit, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny, I want to ask you, man. You get a lot of heat sometimes. And you don't even do anything. You just come out and be you, and you get heat. You've traveled the world. You've seen a lot of the audiences. What would you say the demographic is of wrestling fans? Do they look like us to you? And where are the different pockets where you get heat from a different demographic of fans? Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting question because like we, we, we all came from this. We, we all do this because we're fans, right? I don't think anybody who's ever stepped into a wrestling ring uh, didn't watch maybe a small amount, right? But we all did this because we loved him growing up. So I had my little clique of black wrestling fans growing up, you know what I mean? And dudes that, 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 I, that I came up with. Um, you know, it, that's not, it's, 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 I've answered this question before and I can never honestly say that I've never had like, oh man, if I go to Georgia, I know what's going on. I'm gonna get it. You know, the rednecks gonna be after me or if I would go to Tennessee. Um, it, it's, wrestling fans in general, uh, I mean, it's, if you go to, go to double or nothing you're going to see probably a majority white audience right but you're going to see you know uh, people of color because wrestling is universal language so you're going to see black people you're going to see you know spanish people you're going to see indian people because we do this shit everywhere everybody loves wrestling um so i can't say that if i that there's a specific i get heat anywhere else i think i get heat where with the people that uh Man, I just, uh, when I'm a heel, I know how I, how I come across and, and I know how to get underneath your skin and, I, and, and I, I feel like I tailor that specifically to where I'm at. So uh, I, I just feel like there's some people that, that hate to love me and there's some people who absolutely actually hate me. <laughs> but it's all good. Um, and I don't think that that comes, that that's, that's region specific or, or color specific. I just think that as a good heel, man, you gotta know how to, that's your job. Your job is not to be out there and make people say, damn, Kenny's cool. The shit that I do is gonna make you say Kenny's cool, but ultimately you really wanna say, man, Kenny's an asshole. Yeah. If I could set him on fire, I would. That's part of the job. That's my job. Just to add a little bit to that, uh, that was probably one of the more surprising things when I was on the road, because like, you know, the only to that point before I was like either running with Wale or like going to like other wrestling shows uh, around the country, you know, like the one thing that surprised me, I got to work with like R Truth and Carmella a lot. And, you know, when R Truth would come to like Brooklyn, black wrestling fans were like, oh God, here's R Truth. But <laughs> motherfuckers love R Truth, dog. Like, and I did not know that. I did not know that shit until I was in like Boise, Idaho, and they was doing the what's up like loud as fuck. And I'm like, and he hadn't been around for a while. Like, he had just came back, and like, we were starting to the whole Carmella thing that was really fun. And like, like, I used to think like, oh gosh, they're probably it's probably fucking rough in like Oklahoma or Texas <laughs> or so. You know, this states that you assume that would be a little bit more different, but like motherfuckers just love that guy, bro. Like he's like the magical Negro. As soon as he comes in, <laughs> like I swear to God, like I suit like Vince loves everybody loves this motherfucker, dog. Like he's I, I don't know, and he's like ageless and shit. Like that's the one thing that just that that threw me for a loop for the first time. I used to think certain regions they would just boo black wrestlers just because we were in, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere other than Ma under the Mason Dixon line. But like, like you said, wrestling is a universal language, and like as soon as that motherfucking what's up came on, they would lose their minds every single time, knowing he's probably gonna get his ass kicked. <laughs> right. <But> like, <laughs> right. They still they still love them, but yeah, Willie. Add to that. 
Willie, you've been like incredibly honest so far. I gotta ask you about a story I heard. You had a tryout, it says, you had a tryout with a certain big company. And so you had a WWE tryout, said you crushed it, but they didn't sign you because your body type. Is there truth to that? Like what what goes Mm. behind it? Because that's a whole different stereotype. Like you can go with the best of them, but maybe your look. Yeah. Body type wise, what went into that? What was the tryout like? And is there a truth behind it? Well, the trial was hard as fuck. <laughs> but they said, all right, you're going to get in there and do like 500 squats, sit ups, and all this every day. All these other fools talking about their training regimen, they doing to get ready. My black ass is sitting at home eating donuts, drinking me some Hawaiian punch. I'm like, all right, here I go. I show up. First day in a suit, I hate suits, first of all. I like to be comfortable. <laughs> Comfort is key. So I go in, <laughs> I do my thing, tired as hell the first day. I'm like, all right, I crush it. The second day, have a try a match with uh, Roderick Strong. Mm. Killed it with that nigga. <laughs> Cut a promo, they liked my ass. They were like, all right, in two to three weeks, we'll call you back. So I'm just waiting, sweating bullets, looking like Coolio in that gangsta's prayer. <laughs> fucking, I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. They say you either get a yes, no, or a maybe. I got that yes, I said, oh, hell yeah. They said, all right, you're gonna report here October 27, 2013, no, 14. So, all right, it's time for me to come up. They hit me up a week before I'm supposed to report down there, oh, this happened, the doctor said something wrong with your knee and supposedly your blood pressure, but they let me do the tryout and I did all the physicals and shit there. So they said, don't plan on coming a week before I was go go down there. Come to find out, they signed somebody else because he had the body type they wanted. They done messed up. I'm just telling you right now, they missed out on one. Uh, I'll tell you this, I wouldn't trip over that. I wouldn't trip off that because, I mean, I know a lot of the guys that are, that are you know, are going over there. And right now, I mean, and, and that was one of the first things I said, you know, I mean, a guy like Willie Mack who's so supremely talented, you know what I mean, unless they're coming in specifically like, yo, we want this for you. Like a lot of times, it's just signing people and just like, all right, go kick it on NXT for a couple yeah, of just years. To have go. Just, to, just to have them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just signing people, you know, and I, and I don't want to make this a shit on WWE session because I loved my time there. I still got a lot of friends there, good people over there. But, you know, one of the biggest challenges for me was, like, finding time for a guy like you who I'm, you know, I've, I've watched. Like, I'm an indie wrestling nerd, so, like, I'll watch all that shit, and I'm like, yo, I bet I could do some fly shit. That's, that was, that's why I had so much fun working with Leo because mm-hmm. I used to watch my Ring of Honor and, like, all this other shit. I'm like, all right, boom, this is going to be dope. So like, but a lot of times they they brought Leo specifically for Lashley. Like, but you look at all the other guys. Like, I love Cedric Alexander, and I had a great fucking program for him. Like, set up like to you know from to go off of two hundred five or whatnot. But like, if it ain't your time, it ain't your time, man. Like, just I, I, that's why I wouldn't get no tripped out over there, especially right now where there's just so many great places you could wrestle and make a great living and not be in <laughs> the creative shackles of of what of what essentially working at WWE is kind of like, you know? But there's a lot of people who get a lot of creative freedom and they get to do some fun stuff, but a lot of times if they don't have you in there for something specifically, it, it, it could be a little tough over there. And eventually it'd be like, 
it would be nice to go see what else is out there and then leave the company, which is happening a lot right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to talk about Kofi winning the title. Yeah. Kofi Mania. When it happened, there was some tear shit. I, 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 I absolutely cried. I wasn't even calling you out yet. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality is a lot of us felt a certain way about that. It made us all feel a certain way. When I put together the Sport News video, I asked for some, a few videos, and it turned into thousands of videos mm -hmm. of reactions from the Philippines, from Mexico. Oh, and we put it together in a two-minute segment of just people reacting mm -hmm. and crying. And nobody... I had people that said, well, why are y'all making it a race thing? And it wasn't a race thing. Yeah. Because Kofi was just universally loved. And yeah. he happened to look and act like us. But let's just talk about, Cass, I'll start with you since you wanted to bring up the, the tear shed. Sure, I'll talk about it. <laughs> that moment for you, seeing Kofi win that title. So it's, it's kind of different for me because, like I said, I work with him very closely for my entire time there. And even afterwards, like, I don't even think I told people this, but like even after I left, like, they would still text me like, yo, here's what they got to say today. Cause you throw something in there, I'm like, yeah, boom, and like it would still go up. So, but I still didn't know that they were, you know, you, I hoped they would put the title on them. I hoped that we'd get there, but like, you know, I worked there so long, I don't. A lot of times, you don't know what's gonna happen until it actually happens. Like, I've literally written, I've written Raws episodes of episodes of Raw with Braun Strowman as the Universal Champion, thinking Braun Strowman's gonna win the Universal Title, and then. We're all watching, and, and Brock just mows him down. <laughs> but, and we're just like, Thank you, Brock. we're just like, that's it. And we're like, yeah, that's it. So as happy as I was for Kofi, and I'm like, I didn't know it was gonna happen until it actually happened. So like, I was front row there with Wale, and then Sparks and Smoke Dizzle, who's probably around here somewhere, and a bunch of other guys. And once I saw, <laughs> the funny shit is, once I saw Mr. Bootyworth come to sit next <laughs> ringside with us, I'm like, oh, they're really about to do it. I'm like, this is really about to happen. And then as soon as that happened, I just remember looking at Woods, because I, 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 won't, I won't blow it, but like when you look at the ref and the timekeeper and all this stuff, you can know when they're about to go home. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like, you know, I'm seeing this, them, them both stirring up. I'm like, oh, shit, it's really about to happen. And, like, I guess the emotion of that, like, kind of took over me. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm really about to be ringside to watch a fucking African-American WWE champion be crowned in New York. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, you know, and there's a point where as soon as fucking they go get their kids and everything and they got the new Kofi T-shirts, Woods looked me dead in my eye, threw the shirt at me, and there's a picture that I had like at ringside holding up the you know uh new, new wwe champion with kofi on it and i cried like a baby because like i looked around and i saw every, his wife and his kids were like right then over there like shedding tears like i'm just like I, I never thought i would see it as a lifelong wrestling fan i never thought i would see it i never thought it would go to him you know what i mean and i work there so like i knew who they had eyes on on oh well maybe eventually if they get that route it might be him it might be him Never were, did we think, you know, it was going to be Kofi, but like it was literally one of those lightning in the bottle moments where, you know, Ali got hurt and, you know, uh, we love Ali and he was one of the guys that, you know, got that big of a push and that crowd kind of took over and, you know, and even, even rarely, and I don't talk about this either, I think that kind of started at Money in the Bank the year before when they were doing the Money in the Bank and like, I guess they were saying the one member of the New Day is going to be in the ladder match, but they don't know who, right? So first Big E walks out and comes back, no chair. 
Woods walks out. I was like, no, no, no. And then Kofi walks out. And this is at least seven months before Elimination Chamber. And the crowd loses it. And we're just like, oh, it would be nice one day. It would be nice if he had a chance of winning this briefcase, right? And, like, you know, so to fast forward to, like, that moment where there's, like, fuck it, we're just going with Kofi on this. It's still, it, it was dope. And I cried like a, like a little ass baby. So, Kenny. for my friends. And, I'm, and I care about them a lot. So, I was really happy for all of them. What about you, Kenny? As a wrestler, <coughs> you, you see somebody looks like you holding up the longest tenure title. I think it's dope uh, because going back to like what Marty was saying, I had a conversation with Vince Russo a long time ago, uh, and he said it's something along the, the lines of, well, why do you think it is that you know, there hasn't been a black champion? Or why, why do you think there is that, uh, you know, that, that black people in wrestling looked a certain way? And I said, well, Vince, there's, you write for, for, for pro wrestling, and you have written for pro wrestling for years. How many three-dimensional black or, or Spanish characters have you written, right? Every single Spanish character that comes out has either got to hop in a lowrider or got to have a sombrero. Uh, we either got to be gangsters or pimps or, or Ugandan giants, and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? While Triple H gets to be the game, he gets to be the cerebral assassin, he gets to be all these different things, and that's how you build a champion. You make someone a fully fleshed out character. People care about their motives, they care about their shortcomings. Uh, and, and that's how you get people behind a character. So fast forward to Kofi. I mean, I, at Wally Mania, you know, I was still, I mean, yeah. you know, me and Kofi hugged, and I was like, please, God, please. <laughs> I mean, we had I'm, the replica title. We no, didn't want to put it on him yet. I'm we were still, like, oh, you know, I'm still, everybody's there. And, 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 and uh, there's like this nervous energy, right? Everybody is it's palpable. People, you know, everybody's, it's the Kofi show. And everybody's, yeah, Kofi, Kofi, Kofi. But everybody's still like, please, don't yeah. let them do this shit. It was almost us, like, right? honestly, like that whole, that whole event, that whole party, it was like, it was, and I remember saying in the speech, like, even if you win or lose, we're just happy that you got this moment. Right, right. Because we've been there before. We've been there just before. Like, you get Booker T. We get Booker T. And Booker was there. And, like, even, like, the, the night was about Booker T. Like, it was, you know, he was going to the Hall of Fame for the second time. And he was the guest of honor. We had him on the stage and all that type of stuff. So it was all about Booker T. And then, you know, he texted me. He's like, yo, we, we five minutes away. It's like, and the police is already going nuts. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, oh, they're about to lose their shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, feel like, I, I forgot who's performing. I think uh, Flux Cartel is performing. And then, you know, and they all have dreads. So Kofi kind of got lost in the sea of, imagine going to a wrestling event and you get lost in the sea of black people with dreads. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we walk in. And then E, Kofi, and Woods, and then Chad from Crime Time grabs Kofi, puts him on his shoulders, and that's like the video that everybody sees, and them just going nuts or whatever. And we were just celebrating that moment, because as black wrestling fans and wrestlers, we know we've been there when it's like, ah, uh, you know, they ain't really going to give you the title. And even if they do, like, whatever, like, they're just going to let you, like, lose it on SmackDown on Tuesday or some shit, but... It became a situation where it didn't matter where you worked, right? It didn't yeah. matter where you worked, yep. what you watched, what you wanted to do, uh, everybody was thrown in on Kofi. Yeah. And it was a beautiful... Uh, the energy was amazing, and then just to, to watch it happen, and then, you know, uh, I don't necessarily even know or how to even articulate how it felt. It just felt relief, pride, mm. uh, exhilaration, all of those things. Because like I've been doing this shit 17 years, and I and I and I've been watching it for way longer, and I never thought I'd see it. Right? 
Um, and then to do it the way that they did it, to put it on Kofi Kingston, who universally, as a baby face, yeah, nobody yeah. can say shit about yeah. Kofi Kingston, right? <laughs> facts, Kofi facts. is respected. He's well-liked. Nobody can say that Kofi Kingston goes out there and does anything but puts on excellent matches. Human highlight tape, and man. If nobody <laughs> else, can, if Kofi Kingston couldn't do it, then it was never, ever going to happen. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, that's why it's so special. And, uh, you know, I mean... We, we, I said, I put it on Twitter, we gotta protect Kofi at all costs. At all costs. At all costs. That's, that's the only thing I take seriously on wrestling Twitter. Y'all can say what y'all want about creative, y'all can say whatever y'all want about whatever. I'm like, anybody got something fucked up to say about Kofi, y'all can talk we to scrapping, me. We scrapping, man, it's real. We fighting, fight. that's, fight. that's my real. guy, bro. Uh, Willie, when you saw it, is, is that something that now motivates you going forward? You just signed a new company, congratulations. Yeah. Signed a, a good deal. Is this something where you're like, okay, like, I see now these big companies have opened the floodgates for something different. I'm going to go get that. Oh, hell yeah, because, like, coming up as a kid, you always want the black dude to do something. Be like, Mama, when the black man going to win the belt? She'd be like, <laughs> oh, he'll get it one day. And then in the back of your head, you growing up, getting an adulthood, you'd be like, this shit was never going to happen. <laughs> but sitting there watching what shit people from – all the way back in the day when they first, like, 60s, 70s, maybe 80s, somebody, an older black cat who loved wrestling, seeing what happened with Kofi, it's like a whole damn generation of people just came up and got behind this one dude and fucking, you saw the celebration around the world for this black guy. Mm. And, like, you thought it would you wouldn't... Did you think you was gonna live to see that shit? I, I swear I didn't think. Any of y'all think y'all was gonna live to see a black dude as <laughs> nope. the head of WWE? Hell no. It's but, like when hey. the Knicks, I never think I'm gonna see the Knicks win a championship. So well, like, it was right the first Yeah. Let's take a breath but, on that one. But. Keep that same energy on July 1st. <laughs> Keep that same energy. Yeah, but yeah, seeing <laughs> Kofi do his thing and seeing that how all the wrestling companies getting into like, all right, this is how the times are now. Hell yeah, I'm motivated to go out there and show everybody why I got this contract in the first place and why my name is worldwide instead of just being local. So, hell yeah, I'm going to bring my best every single... Well, I do it all the time, but I'm going to bring that shit hard as I can. <laughs> real quick, though, I do want to shout out, uh, because we're talking about Kofi, and it's a real, real important moment, but I do want to shout out uh, Impact Wrestling. I want to shout yeah. out Ring of Honor, right? Because I sat, I watched, I was part of Bobby Lashley winning the Impact World title. And that, is, that was something that never happened. I want to shout out Jay Lethal, who is as yeah. good of a wrestler, a champion, as a man, uh, yeah. and has carried, has carried Ring of Honor for four years. Uh, so it is, it is, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see what, what WWE is doing with Kofi, but there are lots and lots of things happening in other wrestling companies where, where, where black and, 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 and people of color uh, are, are being given the ball. So, you know, shout out to Jay Lethal. Oh, hell yeah. Hey, and shout out to that nigga Tommy Dreamer from House of Hardcore. Yeah. I was his first <laughs> champion and still his reigning champion over a year now, so I run it at last year's WrestleMania, so shout out to Tommy Dreamer for that. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's incredible. I want to thank all of you guys for coming and sharing these stories and these experiences and, and what it meant for you, Chris, Marty, uh, all you guys up here with us, man. It's, it's important to have these conversations, and we got to make sure this is the first of many. 
conversation. Yeah, I want to come back next year and have this entire room full, man. Yeah, let's like, let's oh, make yeah. that happen. I, I remember, I remember, you know, the first Wally Mania, the first couple Wally Manias was in like a bar, and now that shit is like. You coming to Tampa? Like we doing it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So just like this panel, like y'all was here this time last year, like next year, I want this whole shit like filled up to the brim, wherever it is. Oh yeah, this you gonna the, get me in trouble, guys? Because I told my lady that Wally Mania wasn't that popping, and now she's. Oh, oh snap! It was yeah. it was a yeah. small yeah. gathering of yeah. friends. Yeah. I swear it wasn't that. Thank you, Cass. Appreciate you. Hey. Well, my girl didn't come too, but she was she was working. That shit was crazy. <laughs> Thank you, Willie. Appreciate you. No. Uh, it was cracking. I'm sorry. Oh, I do want to say this. I, I do want to say we've come from the days of Bobo Brazil and, yeah. and Rocky Johnson and Junkyard Dog to the Nation of Domination, who were heels, who I identify with. You know, growing up loving Malcolm X, I was like, yeah. yo, why are they heels? Why are they bad guys? Why are y'all booing him, bro? He and then when, when The Rock came up and became champion, he became racially ambiguous. Yeah. So I thought when we talk about it, I was like, this moment is never going to happen. Yeah. But now we're here, and now we're having this discussion. Starcast, I didn't think this was going to happen. I had to have had a conversation with Conrad. Shout out X-Pac, too, man. He, oh, he really yeah, shout out to X-Pac, crazy, big time. So, good, so we, we have advocates and supporters behind this, and this is just a, the beginning of something that I hope can continue. These conversations have to happen. Because next time, I don't want to just have just us. I want to invite the Asian community. Yeah. I want to make sure we have the gay community. I want to get Sunny Kiss here. Like, it's very important that we continue these conversations because without us starting something, it can never be finished. Yep. We can't have those Kofi moments all the time. They will die. Protect Kofi at all costs. It all starts right. here in this room. You're going to lose that title one day, so don't don't get soft on him and, you know, don't stop supporting, you yeah. know, wrestlers of color just because, you know, he, he's not the champ no more and the feel-good moment is over. Like, this is just the beginning. You got to, you know, keep that momentum going. And representation matters. More than anything else, you got to see somebody that looks like you. It helps. Me coming up as a kid, I, like I said at the beginning of this, this, this panel, I didn't see anybody that looked like me. As a writer, as a journalist, somebody that's covered pro wrestling, I used to beg for the day that I got a chance to write about somebody like Kofi Kingston. I used to beg for the day I could sit on a panel with somebody like Kaz who worked with the WWE and I can call a friend. Sitting here with Kenny, who's from Vegas. <laughs> Who lives in Vegas? Live in Vegas. <laughs> but, but we represent a community, man. So it's like I appreciate everybody coming here. Keep the support alive. You know, we represent everybody. The podcast movement. Um, and again, make sure the voices is heard. Because Starcast, we have to come back next year, bigger and stronger. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. So we appreciate all you guys. Everyone who came. Everyone who's watching on the live stream. Everyone who watches these videos. Everyone who supports our podcast weekly. Uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, it's really important. And we're gonna, like we said, this is the first of many. This isn't the last. So we appreciate all you guys. Give all our guests a round of applause. Thank y'all for coming. See you guys next time. Thank you. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.